your fellow redeemed. We consider briefly our gospel reading from the Gospel of Luke. And as we begin today, um, the major concept that we have to understand, or that at least will be helpful as we discuss this topic, is two differences in what some might call a worldview, or two different approaches to scripture. And we use two different words and terms to talk about them. The first we would call a theology of glory. The second, a theology of the cross. And if your upbringing, even in a, the Lutheran church, were anything like mine, you probably didn't hear those terms for most of your childhood. I think the first time I encountered it was probably my second year of college. And it was explained as one of the most fundamental differences that you would see between a proper Lutheran church that teaches according to what Scripture says and a church that has its focus in the wrong place. The theology of glory versus the theology of the cross. And what does that mean? Well, that term, the theology of the cross, derives itself and comes from actually the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus says a number of times, if anyone would come after me, he must daily take up his cross and follow me. If anyone would come after me, he must daily take up his cross and follow me. And that is uh, variously misinterpreted to think that we share in the sufferings of Jesus as some way of atoning for our sin. And you and I know that that is not the case. That Jesus carried a cross. That the symbol of Christianity around the world is this gruesome torture device whereby a person was suffocated to death over a period of days. That was his cross. That was his cross carrying your sin and mine. That was his cross where the blessing of forgiveness was won for you and for me. That was his cross where his righteousness was placed and he took up our sin. And even today, his righteousness and his forgiveness is distributed through his church. But then he says to believing believers, to Christians. If anyone would come after me, he must daily take up his cross and follow me. Now what could that mean? It's obviously we exclude the idea that, that our suffering, as Jesus talked about in our gospel reading and as we just sang about here, we exclude the idea that our suffering in any way um, attains for us blessings of heaven. We don't atone for our own sin or anything like that. So what could it mean? That theology of the cross is that truth, that beautiful divine truth, that God has chosen to place a heavy cross upon his church, upon his Christians, upon his people. A cross that is of the sort that is you know, not atoning for sin, but rather characterized by suffering. 
that in his wisdom, God has chosen to make sure that his church always will have to suffer and struggle, that his Christians will have to have that internal struggle as they try to parse and understand external events, that Christians will be driven to the point of doubt or despair, wondering when will things get better, and even that inner conflict of what does God think of me, because where's the blessing that I hear about in Scripture? The theology of the cross is the truth that God has chosen to hide his glory underneath weakness, that God has chosen to hide his glory underneath suffering, that God has chosen to distribute his greatest blessings in ways that are easily overlooked and that don't look like, look like much more than words on a page or a taste of bread and wine. The theology of the cross is this one blessed divine truth that your life as a Christian will be a mirror image of the life of Christ. That even though our Lord has chosen you from eternity and he has done everything to win your salvation, he has done everything and he has promised you heaven itself, at the same time, at the same time, he has chosen that your life and the life of his church around the world will look like one of, of even suffering and failure. Theology of the cross. And perhaps it's a little bit easier to understand in comparison to the other option, the theology of glory. Theology of the cross is exactly as God describes in his scripture, that there is suffering now and the glory comes later. Theology of glory turns that around and deletes the suffering. Theology of glory really says that if God wanted his church to be victorious, then we should have it now. That we should have the glory now. That we should see the success now. Theology of glory asserts that in some way we can understand where we stand spiritually and we can look and see the blessings that God wants to give to his church and God's church will have this unending string of conquests. Theology of glory. Theology of glory is looking for looking for a, a full and packed church with fantastic sermons and Bible classes, with ministries for everybody, accomplishing so much good in the world that they barely have time to breathe. Theology of glory, looking for something that is measurable proof of God's goodness. And maybe that's about where you boiled it down to. The theology of the cross understands that not only is suffering in this world a part of life in a sinful world, but also suffering in this world is a divine blessing from God himself. The theology of glory wants to look at our circumstances for proof that God loves us and cares about us. The theology of glory then is a double-edged sword because if all of a sudden you experience the financial downturn or the turn in health or the congregation just collapses for reasons outside of your own power, 
then the only answer is that you didn't try hard enough and you didn't believe hard enough. The theology of glory looks for God to display his glory in the lives of Christians now. It looks for a life of ease and glory and success. And if it's not there, there's no explanation for suffering. And this is definitely one of those those rocks, I suppose, that would break the heart of many a self-proclaimed Christian. How do you explain suffering in this world? If your life is completely colored by and oriented by this theology of glory, then the only excuse for suffering is that you didn't believe hard enough. If your life is shaped by the cross as Jesus describes it in his word and as he even lays out for us in our gospel lesson today, then the explanation for suffering isn't as something to be avoided at all costs, but rather something to be understood and even embraced as a blessing from God. Understood and embraced even as Paul talking about that thorn in his flesh and there have been a myriad of explanations for what that thorn in the flesh was for Paul. But the most I think that we can say conclusively is that it was some sort of a physical malady, a physical ailment, physically chronic condition that reminded him of his sin. Some have posited that, you know, when Paul talks about large letters he writes at the end of the book of Galatians, that maybe Paul had some trouble with his eyesight. That may be. And in which case that would perhaps have reminded Paul of the three days that he sent with scales covering his eyes as he went to persecute God's church. But Paul leaves it purposely vague because the point isn't his particular suffering, but the general thought that God has chosen to place a cross upon his Christians and upon his church. That God not only gives this as a blessing, but then uses it for a blessing for his people because it forces us to despair of our goodness and our rightness and our righteousness and to recognize I've got nothing. All I have is you, Lord. And that's an uncomfortable thought. Perhaps you would agree. That's an uncomfortable thought because there's kind of that tension even within our own hearts wanting to see the glory now and recognizing that we should be content with the blessings that God says that he gives even now. There's even that tension in our own hearts that for a good reason, we want people to come to church and we want people to gather here to be, to be fed by the word of God and to worship together with God's people. Tempering, on the other hand, thoughts and memories of, of seeing a full congregation and having our hearts set on that there's that tension even in our own hearts that we don't like the idea of pain and we don't see the good that could come from pain. We don't see the blessing that could come from needing to work hard against something for a long time 
We don't see the blessing in, in waking up with um, needing to wear glasses in order to see, even to get to the kitchen. We don't see the blessing of waking up with a flare-up of your rheumatoid arthritis and, and being stuck in bed or waiting for the prednisone to kick in. We don't see the blessing of being in relationships with one another and these close relationships that more often than not reveal our own inadequacies for what they are. We don't see the blessing of needing to confront needing to confront the sin that lies within and that shows itself. We would rather that we had the life of ease. We would rather, rather than having to sit down and refigure the budget because of inflation or because of um, you name it, We'd rather say, well, it's not a big deal. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to worry about, worry about where any of this comes from. I don't even have to do the math about it. That concept of suffering as a blessing from God, and even pain as a blessing from God, is something that is foreign to you and to me because we hate the idea of pain. Why? Because God has given a cross to his church to remind us of what he says in his word and to remind us that he is the one who has promised to, to care for us and provide for us each and every day, that he is the one who has promised to sustain us each day, that he is the one who has promised to give us clothing and food and house and home and land and cattle and all that I own, that he is the one who has said that never will he leave us, never will he forsake us, and yet, even though we have those words, it's so much easier to prefer, but why can't it be different for me now? Have you ever felt that? Ever experienced that? I don't know if, um, if you've attached those words theology of the cross and theology of glory to that understanding before. I barely have. <laughs> but that understanding and that reality that you and I, you and I will have a, a set of blessings that look like problems. That God in his wisdom has chosen not only to allow, not only to permit, but in some cases even to send the sort of suffering that would drive us crazy, that would leave us shaking our head, heads and wondering, when will this get any better? When will things change? And you could rather quickly begin to see some of the blessings that God hides there under suffering. The blessing of, yes, despairing and saying, I don't know how this is going to work out, but my Jesus does. The blessing of understanding the depths and how deeply ingrained this sinful flesh is and how it shows itself. And that each day, each day that I need to take up the sword of the Spirit and fight against temptation, not just think that I've arrived and, and we go on our way, 
that God hides his greatest glory under weakness and suffering, and he speaks a word of promise. He attaches his word of promise so that you and I pay attention to that rather than to what our eyes see, rather than to what our hearts feel, rather than to all of the wishes of how our circumstances might be different. Swept aside and set aside with the reality that Jesus describes for us. That somebody who lives under the theology of the cross sees life as it really is and can call life as it really is. That you understand the true nature of the human condition. That we shouldn't be expecting good from any people anywhere because they have a sinful flesh. That we don't think we can, we can solve the world's problems through any sort of scheme that the politicians come up with and that simply fixing this system and that system in our society is going to solve all the ills of society. The theology of the cross teaches us that our heart isn't set here. That this will be a place of struggle. But at the same time, that this is the place of blessing. Because our Lord has promised to join us in this suffering that our Lord has promised to sustain us by his word, and that his promises stand true no matter what we think about the matter, and that we have a real explanation for the bad things, the things that we perceive to be painful or bad in our lives, that it doesn't rest on you not measuring up. And yes, sometimes we bring suffering into our own lives by our sin. Sometimes suffering comes into our lives due to the sin of others. But you and I understand that just because you have to deal with financial difficulty, chronic pain, fill in the blank, God's purpose in that God's purpose in that, in allowing that, is to send you back to his word, to see that his promises are and always will be true. That the blessings that we see here in the Gospel of Luke today aren't statements that, well, you should forfeit everything and give to, you should forfeit everything that God has given to you in order that you can have blessings in heaven. It's not a set of conditional statements that we try to live up with in order to attain these blessings. The statements that he gives here, beginning in verse 20, describe our condition in this world under the cross, but also describe the spiritual reality together with that. That you can see reality as it really is, that we aren't, we aren't hoping to, to change the world, even at the same time as working against the power of the devil in this world and working together to make a difference in our homes, in our families, in our communities, definitely. But our hope isn't here. And that's the way Jesus describes it, beginning in verse 20. He lifted up his eyes to his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, because yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, because you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. 
Blessed are you whenever people hate you and whenever they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because of this. Your reward is great in heaven. And if you line up like the bad things that he says here, blessed are you who are poor, who are hungry now, who weep now, um, and when people hate you and reject you and insult you, that isn't a buffet to choose from and to say, well, I want the kingdom of God so I should, I should become as poor as possible. No. These are blessings. These are all things that Jesus has already won for you. And when you look around and you recognize, do I have suffering in my life? We recognize our sin in that, sometimes it's there. We recognize the times even during that suffering when our eyes have and our hearts have chased after and looked toward other solutions rather than simply recognizing this is my Savior who has chosen to place a cross upon his people, chosen to allow, permit, even send suffering in my life so that I despair of everyone else and see only him and his gifts. Yours is the kingdom of God. You will be satisfied. You will laugh. Rejoice in that day for joy because of this. Great is your reward in heaven. And that's not a consolation prize. That's a statement of fact of what Jesus has won for you. That Jesus, in his cross and in his resurrection, won heaven for you. And if God wants to use any amount of suffering and pain in our lives to, um, to keep us focused on that truth, wonderful. You could think of it this way. <clears throat> For the last few months, um, maybe you've seen some of the images and videos and, and news coming from uh, the other side of the world in China there. And... Um, and I came across an article this week that just led with this very compelling picture. And most of the news and such coming out of China is like cranes next to churches knocking them down. And this article led with a picture of a pastor standing behind a, a lectern being handcuffed and a couple of their government officials standing there with firearms to disperse the crowd. And then it followed up with the note of facial recognition cameras set up near churches and that province's attempts to tear down everything that had a cross on its roof. It's not new. And that sort of thing has, has beset God's church around the world since since Cain and Abel. But it was a stark reminder that our Lord, yes, he has preserved his church in this country from such rampant persecution. But even more, it illustrated exactly what Jesus talks about today. That, yeah, maybe they tear down the church and send you off to a re-education camp. Maybe the families are separated and, um, and never seen again. 
and other human atrocities that we don't have time for in a 24-minute sermon. And what does Jesus say? As he allows places, sends a cross upon his church, whether to that degree or maybe it's just something more minor like the pain of, of bunions and arthritis and cholesterol medication. Anywhere along that continuum, as a Christian, you can say, how does my Lord promise to bless me in this and even through this? Blessed are you whenever people hate you and whenever they exclude and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because of this. Your reward is great in heaven. The fact is, their fathers constantly did the same thing to the prophets. And so whatever it is, I hope that understanding of theology of the cross, theology of the glory, and there's a fantastic book on the topic that I can loan to you. But maybe that gives us a little bit of a glimpse and an understanding into how do we approach the pain of our own lives and the difficulty of our own lives. How do we understand where God gives his blessing? That his blessing isn't just in what we see and rejoice at and can measure and quantify. But most of all, his blessing is the spiritual reality that he has won your forgiveness and he gives it to you again that he's brought you into fellowship together, and he says, dear Christian, no matter what happens, rejoice and be glad, because yours is the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen.